Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris Jones, and my family is Nicole, Adeline, Brighton, and Clayton. Um, we're in Mark Rohr's community group, and the scripture I will be reading from is Mark 11, 27 to 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this author authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know, and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Good morning. I got a little bit more, Zach. Sorry, wherever you're at. Hey, uh, my name is Mark Rohr. Obviously, I'm not Tanner House, um, but I'm uh, grateful for Tanner giving me the, the privilege and opportunity uh, to uh, proclaim and preach the Word of God this morning. Um, I think they're in Wichita Falls getting to see their nephew being baptized, so praise the Lord for that and getting some family time. And so uh, he asked me uh, to uh, preach, and so I'm very grateful to have this opportunity. Um, if, you, uh, if you need the Bible uh, in the back, Devante, right there, who's walking in, will get you a Bible if you need one, um, and you can have it in your hands that way, or if you have your phone as well, that's, that's great as well. Uh, this morning, we're going to be, of course, like as Chris just read, we're going to be in the book of Mark, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 11, uh, and verse 27 through 33. And I want to tell you a quick story before we jump into our text this morning to kind of set, set the stage uh, for our text. Uh, when I was attending West Texas A&M, go, go Buffs, uh, in, in Canyon, Texas, um, a lot of great things happened there. Uh, I, uh, um, I was a, grew up as a Christian in Lubbock, Texas. At, I, when I was nine years old, the Lord saved my life in, in, a, in a Baptist church in Lubbock. But I never was truly discipled um, in what it meant to, what it looked like to follow Jesus. I just knew that one day I was going to go to heaven. Um, but I knew, of course, that I needed to read my Bible, I needed to pray, I needed to share the story of Jesus with others, right? But no one ever came alongside me and said, hey, Mark, let's, let's walk together. I'm going to disciple you and show you what this walk with Christ looks like, right? And so I, I knew that, but so when I got the WT, uh, I was going to play football, and I, I tore my shoulder, had surgery, and then I saw guys that, you know, have you ever seen those guys from Hawaii, the big Samoan guys, travel tattoos? I saw those guys, and I said, nope, I am not going against those guys. I don't love football that much. And so I uh, didn't play, and I was in my dorm room one night, and I was praying to God that my family had just left uh, to go back home as they dropped me off, and uh, I was in a new place with no, nobody I really knew. And so two things I prayed for in my dorm room that night before school started. I said, Lord, I, just ask, I know that I need to grow in my faith, but I, I don't know what that looks like. Please give me a, a, a place where I can grow in my faith here at school. I've heard of these campus ministries, um, but just direct me to a place. And then I, I prayed for a best friend as well, a guy that I can connect with, 
The next day, I met my best friend to this day, uh, who's the best man in my wedding. Me and him got connected. Um, and then we heard about this free steak night at the Baptist Student Ministry. And we're like, oh, dude, free steak night, we're going. Went there, and the Lord uh, radically changed uh, my life, his life, my wife's life. I actually met my wife through that ministry. So grateful for that as well. Um, and from there, I started to understand what it meant to follow Jesus, what it actually meant to, to say that I'm a Christian, not just to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, um, but what else? What does that mean? I, these guys came alongside me and taught how to read the Word and got to go overseas and, 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 and speak to people from different cultures and backgrounds and religions. Um, and so I, the Lord has grown me in, in a radical way in my, in my time at college. And so, therefore, I knew these guys, some of my mentors were RAs, that means resident assistant. So they worked in the dorms, and they're, well, I worked in Jones Hall, it's seven floors, and so each floor, there was about 25 residents and one RA. And so I was on the fifth floor, and I had 25 guys that I was to look after and make sure they don't, don't do anything dumb. <laughs> um, there's some other stories I'll tell you later about that, but... Um, one guy that I had uh, on my floor was a guy named uh, Adnan. He's from Bangladesh, and it was his first time in America, and so he was coming to a WT to get an engineering degree, and I think he now works in California with some big tech company, so he's making a lot of money right now. Um, but anyway, we got connected, and as I was growing my faith, I knew, and I, I had God had grown me a desire to share this good news with everyone. Um, and... So as I met Adnan, I said, man, this guy uh, is from a whole different culture, background. I really want to get to know him just as a person, of course, and befriend him and, you know, love him because he has no one else here. And so my family, we invited him to Thanksgiving, to Christmas, just the different things that he could experience. So as we're growing in our friendship together, um, we started uh, dialoguing about faith. So Adnan is a, is a Muslim man, and I'm a Christian. And so we had great uh, dialogue between, uh, with each other on the different faiths. Um, and one thing that we talked about in Christianity and the Muslim religion, uh, that they both agree about Jesus is in that he was a, a good man, he was a prophet. But one thing that we can never, never agree on, uh, that he couldn't grasp and that he didn't agree with me on, um, was the most important doctrine of Christianity. And that is Jesus having the authority to forgive sins. Right, because in Christianity we believe that Jesus is not just a mere man or a mere prophet, a guy that does miracles, but we believe that Jesus, according to Scripture, came ultimately to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for all those who trust in him. Right, he is God in the flesh. One passage I shared with him that, we'll, that we've talked through in the book of Mark uh, previous, uh, I shared with him in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, where the, it's a story of Jesus and this, these, these friends bring uh, uh, this guy who's, who's paralyzed. And as, as Jesus sees this paralytic, he heals him physically. But also, we see in that story of Mark chapter 2 that Jesus forgives him of his sin. So as Adnan heard this story, he said, no, that's, that's not true. Jesus is just a man. He can't, he's not God. He can't do that. Right? So we had some more dialogue about that. And as far as I know, he's still a Muslim, still praying for him, and still trying to talk to him. Um, but that claim of Jesus having the authority to forgive sins is what uh, uh, caused the difference between us. And Jesus claiming that he is the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins, that is the most surprising thing about Jesus and Christianity. Again, is that he has the ultimate authority 
and ultimate authority to forgive sins. And as we see in that story, as we've seen as we walk through Mark, we see some people, when they see Jesus heal this guy and then forgive him of his sins, in Mark chapter 3, if you look back, it says that some people marveled and they glorified God because of that act. But it also says the religious leaders who we're going to look at today in our text, in that passage in Mark chapter 2, they say, it says they questioned in their heart. And you say, well, that's okay to question. It is okay to question for sure. But their question was more of pride and saying, who is this guy that says he has authority? I'm the authority figure, right? Only God can forgive sins, right? So they questioned in their heart, not as a willingness to want to know who this Christ is, but as, as prideful, right? So there's two camps, one who marvels and glorifies God as they hear the word of God, as they see Christ's work, the other ones who question in their heart, um, and really, it comes down to pride and sin in, in your life of that questioning, if it's in the wrong way of questioning. So in the passage today, as we'll look at in Mark chapter 11, we will again counter Christ, and the, atop- and the topic of his authority is on the table. Some of you here today might say that Jesus is a good man. You might say that, yes, I believe he's done miracles. I may even say I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. But the question that is put before us today and that I want us to meditate on as we go through this passage, is have you willingly submitted to Christ's lordship? Is he lord of your life? Are you striving to come under and submit to his authority willingly? Right, and that's the question that we're going to go through today. So I pray that God would reveal to us that Jesus truly is, and therefore truly is is the Savior, and therefore why we should submit to his authority. So let me pray, and we'll jump into our text. God, thank you for this opportunity to, to gather. Um, Lord, I was just thinking as I walked in this morning and saw that, uh, that sign outside that uh, last night they were in this room praying for the country of Ukraine um, and, and worshiping you and praying for the people there. And Father, we do uh, want to lift up the people of Ukraine to you and ask God that you would please uh, bring comfort and peace in that region. God, the believers in that region, I pray that you would embolden uh, in the face of, of trials that they are enduring, Father, that you would embolden them to uh, take courage and take heart that you are still God, that you are still on the throne, and therefore you are sovereign over this whole situation and that you would cause your name to be glorified in that region. Father, in the same way, I pray that your name would be glorified in this room. Father, we don't have things going on in our, in our society as Ukraine does, but we do have war going on within our heart. God, things are tugging at us from each and every direction. Father, whether that's from work or family. God, whether that's from temptation that we we struggle with. God, I pray that in these moments, Father, that you have provided for us this morning, that you would center our hearts on you, Christ. That you are the, 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 you are the authority, you are the author of life. God, everything is from you, for you, to you, and through you, Lord. Father, I pray this morning as we jump into your text, God, that you would reveal yourself to us and show us Christ, that you are, in fact, the authority, which is a good thing for us because we need you. Uh, We need to come under you, Lord, in order to receive eternal life and wisdom. And so, Lord, allow uh, your spirit to work within our hearts this morning to that end. In your name we pray. Amen. So look with me at Mark chapter 11, uh, verse, starting in verse 27 and 28. It says this, 
It says, and, as, and they, meaning disciples in Christ, came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walk, walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? So here we see in verse 27 that Jesus and his disciples again are entering into Jerusalem. If you remember back uh, from the two previous times, uh, starting in chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, this is the third time in three days that Jesus has entered into Jerusalem with his disciples. Again, the first entry into Jerusalem was shown in chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, which is referred to as the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem shows that Jesus has reached his final destination. At the end of this week, Jesus will be arrested, tortured, and crucified unjustly, thus fulfilling what all Scripture is pointing to, which is Jesus, the Son of God, being crucified on behalf for the forgiveness of our sin. At the end of this week, this promise made by God draws us back to Genesis 3.15 where it says the Son of God is going to crush the head of the enemy of sin and death. Right, so today in our text it's, a, it's considered, it's on Tuesday, right, so gener- Jesus entered on a Sunday and went to the synagogue and we saw last week where Tanner talked about how Jesus cleansed the temple on Monday and now in our text today he's entering the temple in Jerusalem once again on a Tuesday and at the end of this week which we're about to celebrate in a couple weeks which is Easter, right, where Jesus on Friday is crucified and on Sunday rises to new life. So that's where we're at, this path that Jesus has finally reached the destination where he ultimately in this week will be crucified. So as we see here in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples are walking in the temple, and according to Luke 20, verse 1, it's a parallel text. It says Jesus was teaching the people. Right, so Jesus isn't just walking, but in Luke it says that Jesus and his disciples are walking in the temple, teaching and preaching the gospel. Right, And so, um, as we look in our text, he's approached by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This group of people were considered the religious elite of the day. In their day, to be a religious leader, you must have the approval of, a, of another religious teacher. And I kind of thought about this when I, and when I was in Hobbs, New Mexico. I was ordained as a minister of the gospel. That church affirms, and they gave me a little plaque saying, we affirm that Mark can be a minister of the gospel, right? And so I have them backing me um, in this, right? And so you can kind of see that this group here, the religious leaders, have backing, right? They have the right credentials. They have the right schooling. And so therefore, they were the teachers. Um, the people would listen to them. And we see in verse 28 that they asked Jesus a question. Look at verse 28. These religious leaders say, they said to him, to Jesus, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? So on the surface, it seems that this group of religious leaders have ground to question Christ as to who has given him authority to do these things. And when we look at these words, these things, remember that this group, again, they think they have their right because of their status in society. And when it says these things, the religious leaders are referring to, the, to first what Jesus did in the temple as we saw last week, Right? What Tanner preached on. We saw last week that Jesus cleansed the temple of God, which is a place of worship, but was being used as a place of business and therefore hindering worship. Also, I believe, and some commentators point out, 
that when they say these things, they are referring to Christ's whole public ministry. We have seen through the book of Mark that Jesus has done things a normal, uneducated Jewish carpenter would not do. Right? Again, as we saw in the very beginning, we talked about Mark 2, where Jesus heals this man physically, but he also forgives him of his sin. Right? And people are knowing this, and throughout Mark, we've seen Jesus do that more and more. Right? So people are learning who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Right? But these Jewish people know that only God can forgive sins. So for Christ to make this claim that he can forgive sins caused the religious leaders to question Christ's authority. So therefore, again, it seems that this question that they're asking uh, is that it, it is, they have ground to do so, right? They, have, they, have, they have, a right, have a right to ask, who gave you this authority? However, when we look at verse 29 and 30, it shows that Jesus asks a question of his own. So read with me verse 29 and 30. It says, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. So now, the question we have to ask, why would Jesus not just answer the question from the start? Jesus knows where he has received his authority, from his Father in heaven. In John 12, 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. We can see from Scripture that Christ has received his authority from his heavenly Father. So again, why would Jesus not answer their question from the start? Why does he ask a counter-question? Well, Jesus can see that their motivation, uh, can see their motivation behind the question. Jesus is not swayed by crooked questions that seem reasonable on the surface. And he pulls back the veil on the motive of their questions, as we will see. I want to remind us that as we look back in Mark chapter 1 as well, we have seen uh, that Mark points out that this is not the first time the issue of authority has come up with Christ. In Mark 1, in 1.22 it says, They, meaning the crowd, were astonished at Christ's teaching, because unlike the scribes, unlike the religious leaders, Jesus was teaching them as one having authority. These leaders were seeing that people who used to look to them, right, for authority and for direction, are now following this Jesus who teaches with authority, and therefore these religious leaders are not the center of attention anymore. These leaders, are question, their questions are disguising their real motive or their real goal, which is to trap Jesus and discredit him. One commentator, Aiken, says on this, the leaders are not motivated by a willingness to know who Jesus is, and they have no interest in bringing their lives under his authority. So there are a couple answers that these, these religious leaders are looking for. One is that they um, are thinking that if Jesus says he's acting on his own authority, if he says, I'm doing this myself with no one backing me, right, then they think that he will lose respect from the people. They would hope that people would see he doesn't have the same credentials as they do and discredit him. Or, if Jesus says his authority comes from God, then he can, they can arrest him for blasphemy. This is why Jesus strategically asks a counter-question and notice that Jesus is not trying to deflect the question. Look at verse 29 again. 
right? He says, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So he's not saying, hey, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm just going to go around it, right? Jesus, but he's strategically asking this question because he, again, knows the motive behind their question, right? It's not a willingness to know him, but it's a willingness to trap him, right? And so Jesus says, I will answer your question, but first answer me on this. Look with me again at verse 30 on what Jesus asked them. Jesus says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And Jesus asking this question about John the Baptist's ministry, he's saying, let's look at the evidence of the one who paved the way for my coming, the ministry of John the Baptist. When I was reading this, I was like, why does he go back to John the Baptist? But it's, it's a really awesome answer from Christ. Um, and so I want us, again, if you don't know who John the Baptist, we're going to briefly look at who he is. So let's briefly look at the relationship between Christ and John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 6, John the Baptist, it says, There was a man named John the Baptist sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light referring to Christ, that all might believe through him. And then going on in chapter 1 and John 19 through 23, it shows that the religious leaders finally asked John the Baptist, Then who are you? If you're not Elijah, if you're not a prophet, then who are you? John the Baptist tells them, I am not the Christ. And in verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. So we see that the reason he ends with, as Isaiah said, he's referring back to the book of Isaiah that was written 700 years before John the Baptist came on the scene. But he's showing that that was what was prophesied in Isaiah 700 years before is now being fulfilled in John the Baptist coming to prepare the way of the Lord. That's just amazing. So we see that John the Baptist was sent by God just as Christ was sent by God. We see that both of them have God's stamp of approval and therefore do not need human credentials, which, is, which the religious leaders thought they needed. And John the Baptist saying to prepare the way of the Lord, he is saying that he is a signpost bearing witness to Jesus, who is the Son of God, who's come to take away the sin of the world, as he says in John 1.29. Right? So did you get that? John the Baptist, is like I think Tanner preached on this at Christmas, that he's a signpost saying, don't look at me. I've been sent by God. And I'm fulfilling Isaiah 40, verse 3, which is written 700 years ago saying, and I've come to prepare the way of the Lord, which is referring to Christ, who has come to take away the sin of the world. So that is Jesus' evidence, right? Jesus, of course, could have said, I am the Christ, right? But he's backing up who he is by pointing back to John the Baptist. So knowing this relationship now between John the Baptist and Christ, I hope we understand why this is a great question by Christ. Again, Jesus could just answer that I am the Christ, but that would only give the religious leaders what they needed to finally arrest him. Again, that was their goals. We saw last week um, in verse 25 up there somewhere that it says they were seeking to destroy him. The religious leaders were seeking to destroy Christ. So by Jesus asking this question, he is helping his case by showing the evidence of who he is, the promised Savior spoken of throughout Scripture, and it's confirmed by John the Baptist's testimony. So surely, Jesus is saying, I've given you the evidence. You know the evidence is there. Now you see, right? Well, look with me at verse 31 and 32, and the religious leaders lack of courage to give an honest answer. Verse 31 says, And they discussed with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, 
He will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So picture, me, picture with me for a moment that this is like the Green Bay Packers. Right, there you go, Trent. This is like the Green Bay Packers huddling up in the huddle, right, a football team, trying to figure out the play. Right, and I have a picture, we have a picture in our son's room, and this, this little group of kids are, are all together, and one's pointing that way, one's pointing that way, that way, that way, right? And you can just picture this scene right now. These, these religious leaders are asked the question by Jesus. They know the evidence is solid, but now they're trying to figure out, you know, what answer do we give? Because if we say this, Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe that John the Baptist? Because that confirms that I am, in fact, the Christ. But if we say we believe if we don't believe in John the Baptist was a prophet, then all these people over here believe that he was a prophet and we will lose face with society. Right? So they are in a dilemma. They're trying to figure out what to say in response to Christ's question. Look what, look, look what they say in verse 33. It says, we do not know. Right? And so they did not want to answer, again, that the baptism of John was from a heavenly source. Because they knew, as they say to one another in verse 32, Jesus will say, why didn't you not believe me? On the other hand, they could say, not say, John the Baptist was not a prophet, because during this time, most everyone knew, again, that he was a prophet. And they were afraid of losing face. Right? In another parallel text, it says that they were afraid that people would stone them. <laughs> right? And so that's, that's where they're at. So again, what do they decide? Verse 30, 33 shows us. They answered Jesus, we do not know. Instead of this group of religious leaders facing the facts and humbling themselves and giving the right answer, which is to say John the Baptist's ministry is from a heavenly source and therefore proves that Christ is the Son of God, they say, we do not know. When I was thinking through this, this reminded me, I'm sure you've seen this on TV, of a courtroom scene where all the evidence is stacked up against the defendant. Right? And then the defendant takes the stand and is asked, Hey, did you do this? And they say, I don't know. Right? All the evidence is there. And if we saw this and knew the evidence was solid, we would say, That person is foolish. Right? By answering that way, the evidence is there. You can't say, I don't know. Right? In the same way, that's how these religious leaders are acting. The evidence is all there. This group of religious leaders will not embrace it and it reveals the idols of their heart. They are afraid of losing their position and losing their way of life. Jesus Christ, hearing this, he says, neither will I answer you, right? Um, in verse, at the end of verse 33, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things, because they were unwilling to submit to the evidence. This week I was on campus with uh, Miss Kim Terra. We were serving lunch to some students and after we were done, this guy came up to me, um, and we started talking about Jesus. And he asked me this question, just point blank. <laughs> Never met the guy in my life. He says, is it true that when I die and have not believed in Jesus, then I will go to hell? And I was like, oh, man. This is like a softball question, right? Like, this is the question that we all want to be asked as Christians, right? Because it gets to the heart of Christianity. So as, we started, as I started, we walked through Genesis, and we talked about the beginning of the world, and and we talked about how sin entered the world and continued through the rest of Scripture on how God's judgment on the humanity is just because we all have disobeyed God. After about 45 minutes of discussing the whole storyline of Scripture, I told him that, yes, 
according to Scripture, because of your sin and my sin and all of the world's sin, we do deserve hell. I said, however, the Bible shows us that through Christ our Savior, if we trust in Him and seek forgiveness of our sins, submit to Him, that we will receive complete forgiveness and eternal life. Right? And as a, as a, as a believer, my eyes are this big. I'm like, dude, do you understand this? Get it, right? He's going he's gonna to accept Christ. But here's what He said to me. I said, what do you think about that? He said, man, that sounds good. But I don't think I'm ready to give up my way of life. We continued talking, and then we parted ways, and it was a, it was a great dialogue, and I loved him. I was thankful for him, thankful for him. I tell you this story because of his statement, though, when he says, I do not think I'm ready to give up my way of life. I did not tell you this to judge him by any means, but to compare his answer with what the religious leaders said and them saying, we do not know. They are really saying, we see the evidence, but do not want to give up losing control of our life, which we like and submit to Christ's authority. Their problem, the man's problem in the story I just told you, and your and mine problem is an internal problem. Aiken says it is us and our sin. Right? It's not a problem of evidence because the evidence is there. Right? And I'm not saying that you should not ask questions because we should ask questions. Right? But as we seek an answer, ultimately when this man said, I do not want to turn and submit to Christ, I want to continue in my way, right? it's showing that it's, it's an internal problem which we all have, right? and it's, it's us and our sin. The religious leaders here and therefore the rest of humanity say, if I accept that Jesus is the Son of God who is going to die for my sins and rise again, then my life will never be the same. And that is right. Our issue with Christ is an authority issue. We want what we want when we want it. As a Christian, as I was going through this text this week, I had to again come to the grips with the fact that Jesus is Lord of my life. I was reminded that I am not my own authority, but my Savior Jesus is. And to that, I'm so thankful. And if I say that to some people outside of here, or maybe some people, if you hear that, that I'm thankful that Jesus is my authority, you might say, thankful? How can you be thankful when you're not in control of your own life anymore? And to that, I'm reminded of Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You remember the Apostle Paul, right? He was Saul and he was a murderer of Christians. But when Jesus came to him and forgave him of his sins, ultimately Paul, his life was transformed by the gospel and lived his life for the sake of the gospel and ultimately died for it. And here Paul says, the life I now live as a follower of Jesus I live by faith in the Son of God and Jesus who loved me. And the way he showed me that he loved me is that he came and died for me. He gave himself for me. To know that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, has come down to sinful humanity from perfect heaven is amazing. Christ did not come sit on the throne, but he came to serve you and me. He came as a great physician, as, and as it says in, in, in the Gospels, it says, I came for those who were sick, Jesus says, meaning sick with sin. Jesus has purchased reconciliation for you with God 
if you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, I want us to be reminded that this story that we're listening to today is taking place on Tuesday, which means there is only three more days until Christ is crucified. Again, that is why Christ came. So as we end here, I want to talk to the Christians first. If you claim to be a Christian, then I want you to ask a question. Am I seeking to have my whole life come under the authority of the Word of God? And saying the authority of the Bible, the Bible is God's Word that has been breathed out to us. Right? In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says the Bible, God's Word is breathed out to us for a correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Right? So this Word that we hold on our hands or on your devices, right? it's not just a history book, but this is God's Word that has been breathed out to us right? for us to know Him and be able and see that it is a good thing to submit our life to him. To submit to Jesus is to submit to his word. To strive to submit our life under his authority, we must know his word more and more. I, I was think, as I was thinking through this, for example, uh, if, if you are married, if you want to pursue a godly marriage, if you have kids and you want to raise them in a godly way, in your job place, Right and, and, and the rest of your family, if you're trying to fight temptation or ultimately just walking, trying to walk faithfully daily, we must be creatures of his word. Right? We are called as Christians to submit under him willingly because it is a good thing for us. And the way to do that more and more is to know his word. So Christian, do you know his word? Is it hidden in your heart? Right? And as you walk out the door daily, are you seeking to honor and glorify him in all the areas of your life? I also want to encourage you today by reminding you that Jesus is in fact who he says he is. The evidence is still solid. I love Matthew 28, 18, and 19, which Jesus says this. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, teaching them all things to observe, right? For I, for I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority is mine, therefore go. I pray that this beautiful reminder of Christ having all authority, because he does, would then cause you, Christian, to go. When you are tempted to fear man in those moments, I want you to be reminded that the author of life and the Savior of your life is with you. Trust him. Be reminded to give all your life to him daily, because he can be trusted, and allow him to use you to be salt and light in the world. I need to be reminded that that God is trusted, that he can be trusted, right? Daily, it is a struggle. It is a struggle internally. Again, this war inside me is pulling me this way to unbelief, pulling me this way to belief, but thank God that I have the Spirit of God that dwells in me as I know his word more, right? I walk by faith, and I can, he is trustworthy. So Christian, trust him. He loves you and cares for you. And lastly, if you are not a follower of Jesus or if you have questions about Christ. Again, I'm not saying that it's bad to have questions. In fact, it is right to have questions, right? We're not called to follow Jesus blindly. However, do not be like these religious leaders who already harden their hearts towards Christ. I want you to ask yourself three questions, these questions. One, maybe what is holding me back from following Jesus? Two, is my desire to be Lord of my own life? And three, is it my refusal to honestly consider his claims? 
I pray if you have never trusted in Christ that you would really be honest with yourself today. I love John 3.16 through through 18, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him in Christ is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever does not believe and come and sit under Christ's lordship will stay condemned because your sin has not been forgiven. So if you're in this room and, and have seen the evidence that Christ is in fact the Lord and, is, uh, and Savior of the world and has come to forgive you of your sins, I implore you to submit to him. It is a good thing to submit to authority, right? We all do that in our daily life. But how amazing is it that we can submit to, to God who is the creator of all things, right? He's, I, I want to submit to that, right? He is steadfast in love and kindness, right? Slow to anger and compassionate. This is who our God is. This is the God of the Bible, right? You may say, well, I've done this too many things in my life. I can't be forgiven of this. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest now and forevermore in eternity with me in heaven. Again, he has come in spite of your sin to show you his loving kindness by dying in your place. Look to Christ and receive real and lasting peace through Christ. And if you have questions or any more, anything like that, we'd love to talk to you after the service. But again, as we enter into a time of response, think through that, meditate on that, because Christ is trustworthy. You can trust him. Let me pray.